Let's go ahead and open with prayer. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to look at your word and look at how you would have us to live and how you would want us to, to serve you in the way that you would have us do. Lord, we ask for your blessing, your honor, your glory, and all that we do today in your son's name. Amen. Galatians chapter 5, starting with verse 13. For brethren, we have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to, to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even this, love, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one of another. We're just going to stop there because there's a lot in that in those couple of verses. And it says, it starts out, Paul saying here, For brethren, you have been called unto liberty. Well, liberty is quite an interesting word. My dad was in the Navy, and the Navy used liberty all the time. It meant you got to go off the ship, and you, didn't, you could do what you wanted. You were free. And that really is what liberty means. We are free. Jesus fulfilled the law. We are free. Now, in the Greek, it has an additional part to this. They define liberty as freedom to do as you should, not as you desire. Okay, and that's what God means when he says we're at liberty. Not that we have a whole pile of laws on there that says do this, do this, do this, he goes. But he says we're going to do what honors him, not as we would like. Because if we did what we would like, we've already talked over and over, we would live according to the flesh. And that wouldn't honor God at all. As a matter of fact, it would be a terrible witness. But we are given liberty. In Galatians, when Paul is talking to the Galatians, remember we talked that he gave them the gospel. He gave them the gospel. He told them that they're free from the, from the law and that Jesus is the way to heaven. And right behind him came the Judaizers <laughs> telling them, well, Paul's message was good, but <laughs> you've got to follow all these laws if you really want to please God. And Paul's writing his letter saying, no, you are at liberty. You have liberty. And again, we've talked about it. It doesn't mean we just go out and do whatever we darn well please. <laughs> because if we've got God living in us, he's going to pour out of us. And we're going to follow his rules because he comes out of us. Not because I beat myself to death and I try to make myself do things, but because he lives out. And this is where he says, you are at liberty and he says, only use not liberty for an occasion to sin. An occasion means here a base of operations. It's a military term. It's the idea of you, you create a beachhead or a place where the battle gets attacked from. And he says, don't use your liberty for the flesh. And we talked about that. That's the whole idea. We are free, but he doesn't want us to go out and say, well, I'm free, God paid it, I can go out and I can do all the drinking and, and carousing and lying and stealing and murdering that I want. No, that's not what our liberty means. That is not what he's telling us to do. He's telling us, you are free. You are free to be joyful in God. Be happy. Nothing is worse than sitting there trying to follow a bunch of rules. Uh, you know, and one of the things that I did often when I was a manager is I told the people the reason behind the rules so that they would help obey the rules. You know, these weren't just arbitrary. And we've talked about God's rules. God's rules are not arbitrary rules. 
He did not just flip a coin and said, lions good or bad? Well, it came up lions bad. <laughs> That's not how he decided the lion is bad. His rules come out of who he is. The more we get to know God, the more we will be like him, and the more we will follow his rules. Not because I'm forced to, not because I have to, but in, in the scripture, you know, we're told in Jeremiah that you become like what you worship. <laughs> what you worship. Too many Christians even worship the rules. Give me rules so I can know how to live for God. And then they just become rules oriented. They're going to miss the love we're going to talk about. Because all they're worried about is the rules, the rules. You know, I got to obey the rules. I got to make others obey the rules. God loves us so much that he frees us from the rules and then he lives out the rules through us. And it says, the next part says that all the law is fulfilled in this one statement. You shall love your neighbor. And love there is agape. And agape, you know the word, and most of you have heard it defined as either unconditional love or God's love. And both of those are fair definitions for the word agape. But I want to deepen the word agape for you. It is objective love. It is love that you choose to do and apply. God's love is agape love. He is objective love. He chooses to love us. And the good, news, good thing about when God chooses to do something, he's not going to change his mind. Our God doesn't change. He says he loves us. He loves us by objective love. Now, that is not romantic. You know, it, makes, it takes away out of all, the, all the deep desires. But he says, I love you. I have chosen to love you. And we wouldn't want it any other way but objective love. Because no matter what I do, God is going to love me because he chose to love me. When you get married, the full basis of being married needs to be objective love. Because if you've been married long enough, you all know there's times when you don't feel like you're in love. You don't even know why you're living with that person. You look over and say, who is this person? Why are they here? And if you wait another two, three years, you'll get back to where you have your emotional love back on top of it, and it goes in cycles. Our divorce rate is really high in this country and in this world because the first time they leave that emotional high of, of love and don't, love, don't feel like they love each other, they say, I never, I, didn't, I never loved you. And you know what? It probably is true. They never did love that person. They were infatuated with them. They were in lust with them. They, were, they felt good being in their presence. <laughs> but they didn't choose to love them. And so love. Our Christian love has to be agape, chosen, objective love. We choose to love one another. And then when we choose to love one another, the only way we're not going to love that person is if we choose not to love them. Now, we as humans will choose oftentimes not to love them anyway and treat them poorly. But if we really have objective love and we understand that we love each other because we have chosen to, then when somebody is mean to you, says that nasty thing to you that just got under your skin, maybe even purposely got under your skin to make you mad at them, you can say, I still love them because I'm going to choose to love them. And we've talked about this often. <coughs> sinners do bad things. We are all sinners. 
we will all do bad things to one another. Even as Christians, we will do bad things to other Christians. And maybe not even on purpose, but it is who we are in the core of who we are. We are sinners. That's when Paul said in, in Romans, I do the things I don't want to do. I don't do the things I want that I really want to do. Oh, wretched man that I am. And we all know that feeling where we want to do what God says and we find ourselves doing exactly the opposite. So frequently, so often. But you know what? God still loves us. And because we have those problems, we need to realize others have those problems. And so this is what I've said over and over. I am never surprised when people do bad things, are mean, nasty, do things on, on purpose. I expect it. I'm actually more surprised when I get people who do good things, especially in the world. Now, in Christians, I expect good things a little more often, but I'm not even surprised when Christians are mean and nasty and, and all of that because we're sinners. And I know that I'm the same way. The longer God works in our heart, the more that he comes out of us and the less of the world that comes out of us. But that's because he's changing who we are. He's made us a new creation, and he's sanctifying us and making us more perfect. We will never be absolutely perfect. We will still snap at our friends, snap at our spouses, snap at our children, <laughs> maybe even dig on them on purpose. <laughs> it's amazing what happens in families, and we all know what happens. You know, they're in a bad mood, so they've got to make sure that you're in a bad mood, too, and they know just how to do it. You know, they know how, just how to make you in a bad mood. And they push all the right buttons to do it. And we do the same thing to them sometimes. And in the church, we do it as well in the church oftentimes. This is a place where we're supposed to love and we need to choose love. The more we live in that agape love, the better. Because then it's going to be, okay, they're being mean and nasty, but I'm just going to love them. I'm going to be kind to them. I'm going to know that Maybe I don't appreciate what they're doing, but I'm still going to love them anyway. How do we win people to Christ in the long run? We don't go up and say, you're a terrible sinner, you need Jesus. Now, that's a true message. They are a terrible sinner, and they need Jesus. <laughs> but if somebody did that when they were witnessing to you, would you have responded? <laughs> no. We love them. We let them know that they are a sinner, that they need Jesus. But we show love. We show kindness. And we as Christians, because you've heard it said so often in the, in the Christian world, we love the sinner but not the sin. That's hard to do. It's hard to separate those two entities. We as Christians can do that because we know that there are two entities. We know that there's a sinner, and we know that they sin. And we know that they're separate. You know the world does not understand us when we say that we love the sinner and hate the sin. And the reason they don't is they cannot separate the two. Because in the world, you are what you do. They, you aren't separate. And if you take in any sociology or psychology classes, you will find them say just that. You're not two individuals. You are what you do. You are what you have become by what others have done to you. They don't recognize that we are evil at the core, and so we will sin. And so they can't separate the two. And when, and when the world hears that we hate the sin, the sin but love the sinner, it drives them crazy because they don't understand it. It's hard for Christians to understand it and practice it. 
And we understand that there's two very distinct parts of the person. And it makes it easier for us that I can say, I don't like what you're doing. It's a sin. But I love you because God loves you. God loves every single person in this world. And he loves them equally. He sent his son to die for them because he loved them so much. Because he knew they could not do anything to please him. And it took Jesus' sacrifice. And he loved the people. He hates what they do. He hates it when we sin. But he loves us. And we want to keep that in mind. And then Paul was to remind people, love your neighbor. And we go back to what Jesus defined the neighbor as. And that's anybody. <laughs> Remember when Jesus was asked by the Pharisees, who is my neighbor? <laughs> and Jesus told them the story of the Good Samaritan. <laughs> now, the priest saw this guy heard and walked away. The, the Pharisee saw him and walked away. And this Samaritan came and helped him. Now, we can't even begin to understand what that story meant to them. Samaritans were hated by the Jews. If you were going on a trip from northern Israel to Jerusalem for the festival, the straight line quickest way was to go through Samaria. They would go all the way west to the Jordan River and follow the Jordan River down and come back east to, to it, or they'd go all the way out to the Mediterranean, come down and go back east. They would not go through Samaria. They hated them that much. They were considered half-breeds, people that practiced relig mixed religion because they had parts of Judaism and parts of the, of the deities that were in that area. And they did not, the Jews hated them, despised them. And when Jesus said it was the Samaritan that did the good deed, and he said, Who's, who was the neighbor? <laughs> if you remember the story, the Pharisees couldn't even say the Samaritan. <laughs> Their answer was the one who helped him. <laughs> They got the point of the story. <laughs> they got the point of the story. And Paul is reminding them, love your neighbor. We need to love, we need to show God's love. We love God because he first loved us, according to 1 John. He first loved us, so we love him. He sent Jesus to die for us. He, he draws us with the spirit to come to him. And then we get to be a new creation filled with God <laughs> so that we can love others. And love is what wins people. If you have a family member you're trying to win to Christ and you really want to see them come to Christ, love them. Love them. Love the, love the child or the, or the friend or whoever you have. Don't try to change them. If you're trying to change them and make them good, <laughs> you're just going to drive them away. If you've got a Christian who's having trouble with somebody, love them. <laughs> and let God change their heart. Because if we sit there and we keep pounding on them, they're drinking, they're into drugs, they're into you know, prostitution, whatever it is that they're into, and all we do when we see them is we hammer on them that they need to be good, it's not going to work. Jesus didn't come to the people and say, you're a terrible sinner, get right and you can talk to me. He would meet people where they were at. He would share the gospel message with them, with love. The woman at the well, number one, a woman, he shouldn't have been talking to her. A Samaritan shouldn't have been talking to her. By himself, he shouldn't have been talking to a woman. And yet he talks to her and is kind to her. 
tells her to go get her husband. She says, I don't have one. He says, you're right. And in fact, you have five. And the one you're with now is not your husband. You know, gently, gently corrected her to know which was wrong. And then just loved her. Showed her the gospel. We need to do that with our, with our children, grandchildren, nieces, nephews, rest of our family. We need to love them where they're at. For one thing, if they're not saved, making them good doesn't work. You don't get good and then come to Jesus. And there's a lot, believe me, I've met a lot of Christians who try to make their friends and everybody good so they're good enough to come to Jesus. They don't think they do it on purpose. They're doing it very unconsciously. God wants us right where we're at. Because if we're good, the problem with good people is they don't know that they, know that they need God. I've seen very few good people get saved because they always think, well, I'm good enough, I'm doing good things, I'm better than most of the people I know. I'm going to be okay when I get to heaven because I'm, I'm, I'm good. We need to, you know, people need to know that they're bad. <laughs> In God's eyes, they are bad until they have accepted Christ and been clothed with Christ and been justified and declared perfect. And this is important for us to understand when we're talking to people. We're not there to criticize what they're doing bad, try to give up what they're doing bad. We're there to give them the gospel. We're all sinners. We all deserve hell. But Jesus paid the price so that we could get, be accepted into heaven. Simple message. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, if we try to get people to be good, we're trying to tell them works are what get you there. Works will never get us there. Works will never even get us benefit in heaven because it's only what's done through God. He comes in, lives through us, and then we get rewarded. If I do it, it's flesh. Flesh is burnt up. Flesh does not stand before God. God tells us no flesh shall stand before me. Isaiah tells us that all our righteousness <laughs> is filthy rags in God's. Everything I can do is worthless to God. It's all Jesus Christ. And this is why we get liberty. We get liberty to show God's love to other people because it is him working through us. Because we can't love one another the way God wants us to anyway. It takes God to love one another. And this is where God, we're at, that agape love. And it says that it fulfills all the law. Now, we've talked about this, 613 laws that, got, that the Jews were given in the Old Testament. Jesus fulfilled all the law, went to the cross, and paid the price so that we could live in his grace. So we'd have a grace message. The law has been fulfilled. And again, Paul says, don't use it as an occasion to sin. We don't want to say, God, I, your, your grace is so wonderful that I'm just going to go on and sin as much as I want. He's not going to go with that. If you want to live that way, you're showing that God is not in you. If you want to live and sin as much as you want, then you're showing that God is not there. There's no conviction. There should be conviction of sin. When you do something wrong, you should know that you've done something wrong. And, that, and I know there's many people, because I've had people tell me that they know when they do something wrong. I know when I do something wrong. Because the Spirit is right there saying, well, who do you think you are? What do you think you're doing? <laughs> Get that crucified. 
Let me crucify that and live in victory over it. Because God crucifies it. And then he lives out through us. So it's very important. And the last part in this verse that says, verse 17, for, verse 15, but, I, and then I've said, when you see the word but, you want to find out what it is that he's contrasting. But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be, do not consume one another. This is kind of an interesting thing. That we can do great damage one to, one to another. If we're not practicing agape love to one another, we can hurt each other. This word for bite in the Greek means wounding the soul or rending with reproach. Wounding the soul. Now, old ditty that all of us learned when we were kids, maybe even taught to our own kids, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. What a lie that we taught kids. What a lie that we were taught when we were, when we were taught that. Sticks and stones hurt a lot. They break bones. You heal from broken bones. Words hurt at the soul level. And they don't heal oftentimes without God changing it. Words. Do we say things that hurt those that we love? Do we say things that hurt those that we're talking to about God? How often do we criticize them for what they're doing, the lifestyle they're doing? Especially when we think about our kids. We have such great high hopes for our kids, and oftentimes we will, you've got to get this right, you've got to do this, instead of loving who we have and letting God change them. We say things, we reprove them, we, we're harsh on them. We make them get to the point where they don't even want to see us. Oh, here they come again. They're gonna, they're, all they're gonna do is preach and tell me how bad I am and all the things I'm doing wrong. Do we want them to just become good or do we want them to love Jesus? Do we want them to love Jesus? The critical part is, and I've said this over and over, when we bring people to Jesus, he changes them. I've seen it a hundred times in my lifetime. They get saved. And as long as they really get on fire for God, they're going to change. Because the Spirit now lives in them. They get into God's Word, and they will change. I change because I'm in the Word of God. If somebody wants to come and say, Ralph, you've got to do this, this, and this, that's not going to work very well for me. Because I'm going to say, I'm not ready for it. <laughs> How often do we try to focus somebody on what we think is important in their life and God's working on something totally different in their life? Let's not even say we. How many times have you had somebody trying to focus your life on something and God's working on a different area of your life? And you're thinking, well, is, is what they're saying really important? I thought I was, doing, I was listening to God and trying to fix this area of my life, but they're really making a big deal out of something else. And the sad thing is there's so many times when we can be right in the words we say and wrong at the time of delivery. It can be so easy to do. We could be talking to them about something that is really sin. It's a big sin. It's a big deal. But God is working on something else in their life and we start trying to really focus them and we're being used by Satan with the right words and the right, right, with the, with the right attitude in our heart but the wrong result to be hit. When Satan tempted Jesus, he quoted scripture to Jesus and said, you know, you jump off here, the angels are commanded to take care of you. 
Jesus answered with scripture, you shall not tempt the Lord. You're God. Even when we think we're doing good things, we need to make sure we're led by the Spirit because we can be doing the wrong thing. And it has to be in love. Is there a time to challenge somebody? Yes, if you know them well enough and, you, and, you, and you've got that place, you can challenge them. But it better be in love. Because the law kills. The law kills. It kills everything, but love will restore them. Love. You want to see people's lives change? And believe me, I've seen it over the years. God's grace will change people. His grace applied will allow God to work in their hearts. And they know that they're loved. They get to see, feel God's love, and then God can work in them. To just tell them a bunch of rules doesn't work. So we don't want to be biting one another, hurting the soul. And the other part, he says, devour. In the Greek, devour means consume the strength of the body and mind with strong, emo with strong emotions. Have you ever had somebody attack you that was very emotional? Very strong in their emotions when they attacked you? And maybe even you heard some good words coming out, but their attitude and their emotions made you just want to stand up and fight back? We need to be careful with these things. Strong people, strong type A driven people have to be careful around other people that they don't force them to do things because that's what they want them to do. Because God has a purpose. God has a plan. And he'll bring us there through his love. God's love is wonderful. I love being in God's love and in his grace. Because you feel loved. And then you get into his word and, you, and God will smack you upside the head sometimes and say, pay attention to these verses. You know, pay attention to these verses. That's why we encourage you, read through the Bible every every year through some schedule, whether it's our schedule or your own schedule, read through the Bible every year. And I've shared with you many times, I'm reading a section that I've read 50 or 60 times and I get into it and I'm going, when did these verses get added to this chapter? I don't remember them. Somebody added these, God. How did you put them in there? But the other times I read it, it wasn't God ready to speak to me on that topic. Because usually when, it, when a verse jumps off the page at me, it's what I need for that moment to, to correct me or to prepare me for that day. And I hope you've all experienced that same thing when you're reading through that God says, here, pay attention. God's word is more than just written words. It's a living book. It's in Greek, a rhema. It's living, it's alive. And it's a book that you'll study for the rest of your life. I've only been studying it for 50, 42 years, 43 years now. Mm -hmm. 43 years now. And it's still just as fresh, just as alive as it was 43 years ago. And still brand new things in it. I don't believe there's any textbook I could read out there and still think it was fresh after 43 years of studying. It would get rather boring probably, but the Bible is not like that. The Bible touches on every part of our life, every part of who we are, and makes corrections. And it's really amazing when, when sociologists and psychologists finally get something right, which is rare. <laughs> they finally get something right and they find out that it matches the Bible. <laughs> The Bible said it 1,400 years ago, and all of a sudden they get these tests to prove that the Bible was right. Now, amazing that God was right. I love it that God is right. We can stand on his word. We can stand on it and know that we're strong. 
And it says, the last part of that verse is, take heed that you do not consume one another. We don't use up. We don't destroy one another. My prayer for us as Christians is that we learn to follow agape love, that we learn to speak very sweetly, that we look, learn to take criticisms out of our vocabulary, that we learn to just love people and let God do the work. Let the Holy Spirit be the one that changes people's lives. That doesn't mean that we accept sin and say, say that it's okay. But it also means that I don't, I'm not going to sit there and attack everybody for, for their sin. We talked about last week the Supreme Court decision is going to make things difficult on Christians and churches. But as long as I'm pastor here, we're not changing. Sin is still sin. And am I going to condemn people for their sin? No. Do I want them in this church? Yes. As long as they're not trying to promote their lifestyle, I want them in this church so they can hear the gospel of God and be loved. Now, if they're trying to promote their lifestyle, then we got a problem. We get There's an issue. But as long as they're here to hear the word of God, I want everybody in here because every one of us is a sinner. If we were to get rid of everybody who is not a sinner, who is sin, who we were only allowing people in here who are not sinners, we would all have to leave the church. Because all of us have some sin in our life that we can't get over without Christ. Every one of us has something that's got a hold on us and probably has hold, had a hold on us for years. We know it's wrong. We know it's wrong. And if somebody comes up to us and criticizes us for that sin, we might just get angry about it because we know that we already know what's wrong. We don't need somebody in our face saying, you're doing wrong. You know, whatever that sin might be. There's all kinds of sins that are issues. You know, lying lips. Gossiping. You know, especially in churches, we love to gossip. We love to give prayer requests and give all the details we possibly can give so that you can know everything about that person so you can pray for them. You know, nice way we hide gossip in church. Because we don't need to know all the details to pray for somebody. We don't need to know all the details of somebody's past life to be able to minister to them. Because it's irrelevant. It's irrelevant. When I came to this church, I did not know to know everybody's past. I wanted to know people from where they're at now and go forward. And it's still where, you know, even though I know many of you now for two and a half years, I still only want to know you from today forward and, and where you're going with God. Because we don't want to be dwelling on the past. When we dwell on the past, we're never going to give somebody a second chance or a third chance because we're going to go, nope, they're not, wor they're not worthy of it. They, they failed. Now, if they consistently all the time fail, then yes, you're going to have to say, no, you don't. <laughs> but when somebody is living in God, God can change them. We have so many changed lives right here in this room in the last two and a half years that I get excited at what God is doing. I get excited around this town as I'm seeing the and feeling the spirit of this town changing. And it's you all here in the church that are doing that by living, lifting Christ up. We're lifting up. There's a revival working its way through this town. The, this town used to be depressing. I remember coming up here two and a half years ago. This town had a heavy depression on it. It doesn't have as much depression on it. I see smile on people's faces often now. God is doing a work. We're all, as the church of Jesus Christ and chloride, bringing that to be. We're getting into God's word. We're bringing his spirit into everything that we do. 
We're going out where lives are being changed. People are noticing the lives being changed. If you don't think people notice your life when it's changed, they do. They may not even say it, but they, they, show, they tell others. You listen to it and they're going, wow, that person goes to church and boy, have they changed. Don't know what you're doing over there. I'll hear it. Don't know what you're doing over there, but keep doing it. <laughs> All we're doing is lifting up God's word and God is changing lives. We lift Jesus up. He draws everybody to him and then he works out of them. So we want to encourage us. We want to show love. We want to bring out these criti critical words, these devouring words, these biting words out of our vocabulary and just learn to love, love one another. Yeah. And how do we learn to love one another? You'll be challenged just this week after this message. You're going to hear something from somebody or about somebody and you're going to, you're going to have to go, God really loves them <laughs> or God really loves you. I'm going to still pray for you. I'm still going to care for you. Even though you're acting this way or doing this, I'm still going to love you. I'm still going to care. God's love will change people. People are looking for love. That is what everybody is out there looking for. No matter what, they're, what sin they're looking for, they're looking for something that fulfills them. And only God's love will fulfill that. Only having God indwelling in them will fill it. And we've shared this. Every time you get rid of a sin in your life, you need to put Jesus Christ in the place of that sin. Otherwise, there's an empty spot that's going to be filled. In, you know, it's a scientific thing, and it's, it's also very much a, a real thing. We do not live in vacuums. When you get rid of something, something has to take its place. When a government is destroyed, another government and rule must take its place. When we get rid of sin, something needs to take the place of sin and it has to be God's love if we want vic true victory. Otherwise, that sin's going to come back with a vengeance or another one will come in its place. And we've seen it. You've seen it if you've been around. You see people who get out of, off of alcohol, especially with the 12 steps and they have their higher power, which isn't God because they don't really teach it. And they either fall right back into their alcohol or they'll replace it with some other <laughs> sinful activity because it's got needs to be replaced. We need to replace it with God, what God wants us to do. Each time he moves out of sin, we replace it with him and his power and his strength and we live through him. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to live and listen to you. Lord, we ask you to help us. Lord, if there's anybody in this room that doesn't know you, we ask that you will work on their heart. Reveal to them they're a sinner, that they need you to be saved. We ask you that you work through them to draw them to you and that they will be fulfilled in who you are. Lord, we ask that you help us as the body of iron chloride teach us how to love others. Lord, help us to be very convicted when we use speech that bites and devours and help us just to show your love to all individuals. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.